So to start off, why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do? I'm Dennis Mortensen, CEO and founder of X.AI. We do nothing but schedule meetings through our intelligent agent, either Amy or Andrew. As Dennis mentioned, X.AI is in the business of scheduling meetings. What's interesting about that is that the company uses intelligent agents. Maybe you call them bots and they schedule meetings and deal with all those insane challenges of managing your calendar. Once Dennis and I had agreed to do this podcast, my remaining interactions were with Andrew to set it up. And no matter what term you use to describe the computer I interacted with, it's sometimes tough to realize you aren't working with a real person. And of course, I'm not the only one to be fooled by this example of applied artificial intelligence. The funny thing about Andrew is that not many people are aware. So we have that moment of true Turing test all the time where is he in the meeting or not? No, that is the product. On today's show, I'm talking to Dennis, not just about X.AI's offerings, but also about the intersection of applied artificial intelligence and security first, in what promises to be a very interesting episode. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Dennis. What I find so interesting about X.AI is that it really brings together many of the tech trends that we're focused on here at Georgian Partners. I'm talking about things like applied artificial intelligence, security first, and conversational business. Obviously, artificial intelligence has that major role to play in what you're doing here, but so does security, given the sensitive data that you're responsible for and have access to. What's interesting is conversational business also comes to play in terms of X.AI as you're presented with all of the opportunities in creating a great user experience along that balance of these new pitfalls as you interact with new types of data in a different way. So let's get started on this topic. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the evolution of user interfaces. We've gone from command line interfaces to WYSIWYGs and GUIs over to apps. Well, what's your view of what matters the most here? Many things do not require an app or a button or a drop-down or a checkbox. What they require is for me to be able to formulate my question or request and for you to understand it. Let's play out a good example here. Say I head to Austin in two weeks from now. I stay at the Hilton. I sit in my room at 9 p.m. and I want a Diet Coke. As I want that Diet Coke, I think the last thing I want to do is say, hey, I should go to the app store, find the Hilton app, download and install it, open it up, create an account. Once I've created an account, log into the app, go to the store, add a diet code to the basket, check out, add my credit card details. Hey, I would have died up until that point before I get that diet code. What I really want is just a big ass number on the door that says, text us if you have any requests. And I'll just text the downstairs lobby and say, hey, can you bring a diet coke to room 1920, please? That is just a superior UI to that of the app. That doesn't mean that the app isn't great for many other things. If I want to look something up on a map, I want an app where I can zoom in and look at the visual of the streets which I'm walking. But for many things, the conversational UI is just so much more superior. And I think within that new UI, we'll have extremely simple bots, say, my Citibank bot that does nothing but confirm whether I made the purchase when I'm traveling, which is again, a great little bot. It's certainly much better than Citibank calling me when I'm in Singapore and I'm spending $4 with AT&T for them to confirm a $3 buy. That is just silly. No, 
those bots will flourish and do well, but there'll also be a set of really intelligent agents that will start to do jobs, things where there is no answer. There's something which you want done, and there's many successful outcomes, and you don't really care. That's where I think there'll be a lot of sexy transformation, and that's what I'm chasing, agents that do jobs. Nice. And a great example of how companies should think about the objectives of their offerings and what interactions make the most sense. It's so much more than me thanking Andrew for the help in setting up our meeting, which, which I did, or me ending up thanking that human who delivered the Coke to my hotel room. You agree? I find it absolutely fascinating that overnight, and I certainly believe we've done well, but I think it will be the same for many of the other vendors who will jump into this pool, that what I thought would take half a decade where most people, you and I included, will talk about software as software or applications or apps or anything that rhymes with that. But we saw overnight that people immediately start to talk about this agent as he, him, she, her. Overnight. And it obviously takes some AI interaction design to have a successful outcome. But that makes me quite happy. And remember, this is not a game of whether I can fool you into believe that this is a human. No, this is a game of where I tell you this is a machine, but I do it so well that you still want to thank the machine. That's going to create some new types of relationships where I'm not even sure you and I have the conclusion for what that means, but there will be relationships in their own right. The whole thank you part which you described, you're not alone. I, I work here. I still write Amy, would you be so kind and set up a meeting? So I think more important, I think what's unique and I think what, what this conversation is going to get very interesting for our audience is elements of security. So obviously, if you're going to effectively schedule a meeting, you need access to lots of data. You need, you need calendar info for free time. You need potential travel details. You'll need something from an airline if flights are late, right? And it's not going to just be for one person. It's going to be for two people or more. So how do you manage all these aspects of collecting, collecting all this data and managing the privacy aspects of that? I think it's important to underline, at least to begin with, whose data this is. And there's plenty of companies where the company is the data. And they want to collect, store, own, and extract value from it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different type of business. I think that many of the businesses that's going to be created in the agent space will be businesses for where the business is around the utility which the agent provides. And the data is something which I borrow from you for the moment for where you ask me to do a job. Just like the very traditional employer-employee relationship where you walk into work today and have access to all sorts of information at your workplace, but it's actually not your data. But you certainly need to be exposed to it to do your job. And Amy and Andrew are very much in the same place for where she will have to be exposed to data, but it's not hers. She needs to look at it to do her job. So I just want to make sure that that is understood, that this is not ours, it's yours. And we believe that the utility which we provide is of so much value that people will pay us for the utility. And I don't need to have a business on the back end that extracts value that you're not aware of. So that's, I think, very important. And I'm hoping that a lot of other companies will kind of follow our footsteps here. Because that will create a very different setting for all of these agents. And it will create 
what I'm hoping is this very natural relationship where I've hired 11 agents. And you'll think of them almost as being on very traditional confidentiality type agreements that you would have with other employees where they must see some things when they walk in the door on 25 Broadway in Manhattan. But they can't broadcast that or use that, but they need to see it. Thinking about confidentiality agreements with a non-human really does make a lot of sense. Uh, and the simplicity of this thought is a great way for all of us to think about information rights to and from third parties. So what are the thoughts come to your mind when it comes to security and privacy? I also think it's important to be aware of how these agents jump in. So agents aren't necessarily just agents that run wild and mine data across the organization. They are typically agents that are being woken up upon request. Just like if I ask somebody to do something at work, most of the time I have not long deliberations, but I certainly have some moment where who am I asking to do what? And if I want to do a salary survey, I'm not asking anybody willy-nilly. Here's a data set with all of the salary data for this particular organization. Now I'll be asking very specific employees to do that. And this is the same for where when I do wake up Amy, what is it that I'm including her into here? And if there's something which is so highly confidential where you believe that your system shouldn't even be aware of it, that might just be something that you either do yourself or you prune it just a little bit before you hand it over. That could be if I want a salary survey, I just remove the names and I want some sort of numbers and aggregates. Fair enough. And again, with Amy, you choose when you include her. She doesn't mind anything on herself. Now, when you do include her, there's a few things that she does not look at. And I think, again, for, for our particular case here, and I can only kind of advocate our own setting, it is one for where we actually don't need the attachment. So all of the negotiation around when you and I should meet up, what day, what time, what location, for how long, is something for where that is not embedded into a PowerPoint or a Word doc or a spreadsheet that is in the dialogue. So we don't even take in the offer letter or the letter of intent or any other kind of material. So that kind of have us blind to potential uh, confidential information. That's great. So there's an element of, you're right, there are companies that are there mining data. That, that is their business. And I think it's important, just as Apple has kind of said with differential privacy, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change that game. We'll have a different model. You're very clear then to your customers on what you are looking at, what you're not looking at. I hadn't really thought about the agents are on demand. They're waiting for you, but they're not running around doing other things in background. They've got very specific tasks associated with them. But you mentioned a little bit about the salary survey and you might have employees go do that. So for effective machine learning algorithms to function, we have to train. So how do you learn the nuances of, we're going to go into this a little bit and, and what role humans might play for you in your company as well. But so how do you learn the nuances of what people are saying um, as you really do need to hold down an end of a conversation. So let's, let's talk about that element of machine learning first and how you do that and, and how you train people and, again, what data is collected and, and not collected in that space. This is a very good question. Uh, and you're absolutely right that without a training data set, there's simply no way of solving this. As in, I need to figure out exactly how you choose to confirm a meeting or how you ask to have a new meeting set up. And if you ask Amy to reach out to Dennis, because we need to do the hokey pokey come first week of December, she needs to understand that that is just your uh, funny way of suggesting that we should meet up in December. And she needs to be able to participate in that dialogue. 
And she would be able to do that. That data is data for where we actually go in on a word by word or half sentence by half sentence basis and label it, but disconnected to who you are. As in, I actually don't care who you are. What I care about is that you said, sure, let's do that. That is your way of confirming. Some people just say, okay, and all I have is two characters. And I need to kind of have that label so that becomes part of a massive data set on, oh, that's how people finally confirm a time or a day or something. And that we do tens of thousands of times every day to kind of amass this understanding of the meeting scheduling language. And that meeting scheduling language, which we're training on, consists of these words and sentences. Now, even when we have been exposed and labeled them, you should also think of this as a piece of paper, few kind of disconnected sentences, a couple of highlighters, and you'll sit and highlight and all become part of this uh, training data set. Once they're being injected into it, they turn into really just massive vectors for where they're not even words anymore. You shouldn't think of this like a massive inbox somebody could read, just massive data points where you have disappeared now and you're just really a few data points in a massive vector. And that is what we do right now to train. And there's points where we reach an accuracy level where we only need actually to train now for QA purposes. That means now things aren't even being labeled anymore. We've learned that. It might be a new skill. We also want her to be able to reserve the table if you and I want to meet up for sushi at Haro's. Then I need to kind of train on a more intimate level for that new skill up until me reaching some kind of accuracy level and then I don't need to train on it anymore. Right. Now you do have humans in the loop, obviously. You have the trainers that do this label. I love how the labeling progresses from you know, confirmation to, to, to restaurants or whatever might be done there. How do you make sure... Um, this group of humans, because you know, one of the elements of security first is not just the traditional external barriers, but a lot of the issues of security breaches and the like happens from internal folks. So how do you manage what you're presenting to your, to your humans in the loop, your trainers? So for us to assemble this data set, we are having humans label and annotate it. And we believe that supervised learning, which is one way of describing what we do here, is the only way to kind of solve this one particular problem. Similar to the choice that the Googles and the Ubers made on their self-driving cars, where they believe is to a large degree a supervised learning challenge, which is why they actually put a driver in the self-driving car and in Uber's case, together with another engineer. So it comes with two people in every car. That's their AI trainers. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is just how you solve it. That is not for them to kind of take special note or spy on. So where is Dennis going in Pittsburgh and who is he meeting with? No, that is for them to kind of figure out, ah, in this particular instance, on that particular bridge, under these weather conditions, there was something which the machine didn't get. We're going to relabel and re-annotate that. What we have, though, is that unlike, say, Uber's case, where they'll see you from the request to the destination all the way through. Again, nothing wrong with that. We actually split this in for where they won't even really see the full journey. So somebody will annotate, not even just one email, but one part of an email. They will annotate the time. So they'll be exposed to the temporal expressions that you've talked about next week, Monday, Christmas, something like that. Somebody will be exposed 
should the location entities, 25 Broadway, in Boston, something else, somebody will be exposed to the people. Suzanne is optional. She doesn't uh, need to participate on a mandatory level here. And not only that, on the time one, some will only be exposed to the anchoring. So when you say, oh, let's meet up next Thursday, that is actually not a time. That is only a time if you have an anchor. So many times the anchor is now, but sometimes the anchor is actually not now. Uh, we'll meet up Thursday upon my return. That's another Thursday, right? So each one of them have only exposure really to a limited view that makes little sense out of context, but a lot of sense once fully assembled. And all of those employees have very traditional PIAs that we put in place to make sure that whatever is being exposed within these four walls and 25 Broadway doesn't go any further. Right. So you're limiting. So each trainer sees what only they need to see. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Uber. We, we had the the big chaos with God mode, uh, what, a couple of years ago. And I was fascinated to see God mode show up again in the last season of Silicon Valley. <laughs> so you do no, no God modes for X.AI. So fair, is that a good way to, to net it out? I think that's a good way to put it. And I think they also regret, one, even just calling it that, two, perhaps even having made easily accessible to everybody. There was probably no ill will in that design and it's one of those things where startups in good heart do things just to move forward fast and then in hindsight can see we should have uh, thought that through a little bit more well i think that's part of kind of when we talk about security first and even in our days of applied analytics and information rights it was always a matter of being proactive about it and assuming what you've got is going to get inspected and looked at and, and make those declarations and i think just to use that as, as a segue i think there's obviously an infinite amount of dimension in which you and i can talk about security or privacy but i certainly think there's two segments. There's the segment for where there's everything which we need to do from a technical standpoint. Who sees what, how is it stored, who have access to it, what can I not see, how am I allowed to utilize the data, and so on and so forth. But I also think that there are, as you allude to here, product design choices embedded into the product where we have actually tried very hard to make sure that the agent herself does not expose things. Things actually for where I think agents will be superior to humans. So there's plenty of things that you and I do from a security perspective that are risky. You and I have most certainly done a reply all error in our careers. <laughs> Sad, but we have done it. We might not admit to it, but we have. It might have gone unnoticed, but we knew ourselves and hoped for the best. And that was that. You and I have certainly done a also complete error for where it was the wrong Dennis. I was in on a engineer being reprimanded the other week. It was another Dennis organization for where as he, as he kept not answering because I was it and I just thought, hey, you'll figure it out so I don't want to give you the embarrassment. But on the third email, it was kind of like, I'm not the Dennis you want to talk to. And we've all done that. When I have been in enterprise as well, I suddenly worked many assistants on good charm, trying to get on the calendar of some SVP which I want to sell through all the traditional kind of sales tactics. And sometimes I've tried to extract information. Don't, you can call it social engineering or good salesmanship, but hey, I'm in town. I'm actually in your neighborhood. Is he in the office? Uh, yes, but he's maxed out. You know what? I know. Let me just pop by with a cup of coffee. You know, all the usual kind of tactics. 
we need to make sure that we actually design our agents where they don't make those mistakes. And Amy most certainly does not make the reply all or the autocomplete, but she also does not fall for any charm offensive from Dennis here for where you can't say anything where she'll expose your calendar. One of the things we really worked on is that she will keep a record on exactly who was exposed to what, in what dialogue, at what moment, so that I do not ever expose something which you haven't seen already. That is actually something that sounds simple, but it's pretty complex for where you might just in the midst of some negotiation say, hey, we should actually bring in uh, Stephanie. She's the expert on this part. As you do that, not always do you think about what's actually in this thread? What have she seen before? Can she actually be exposed to that? But Amy actually keep a record of that. So she will never expose something where did Stephanie see that? So she actually does that really well. That's some of the design choices we've uh, been working on. So I'd like to go a little deeper. Probably let's not go too deep because I want to keep this at the at the C-level executives for our audience here. But obviously machine learning models are going to evolve. We have seen, uh, do you think we'll see these hackers that maybe feeding some maliciously crafted inputs into a model. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily look like text, but they're, they're ways of breaking these machine models. How do, you, how do you prevent that from happening from Amy? How do you make sure you're keeping this, as you're describing, really very well safe and protected from a, a bunch of different aspects of the, this, the activity? So what you describe, I think, almost nobody thinks about outside of kind of academic or core R&D settings, but it will be up front and center in the not too distant future for where there's plenty of ways where you can inject almost your own agenda into different models if you really think through either how people have engineered it and there's been plenty of good examples just on imagery for where you can have certain models believe what you inject is one thing but visually to humans it's another thing meaning that you can actually measure things in certain systems without people being aware of it if you really are mischievous. And we have, at least in our setting, but that's not to say that what you suggested isn't true. It is very true. And I think we all need to make sure that we build against that. But we own both the input and the output. So that means that our output is a designed output, as in Amy is our agent. And there's nothing in her output really which we do not control. So there's nothing for where you can bend her out of shape. You can certainly confuse her or make sure she's not successful. Fair enough. But hey, you can do that to any human just by not speaking the language which they understand. But we control the output. In many other scenarios, you actually do not control the output. Right. The risk is much the risk is that much higher. It's exactly. So in terms of kind of the hacking of these fully automated systems, right? You can have a hack that causes large amount of damage at once. Uh, that's obviously not the case here. There could be hacks that call small amounts of damage over time, but you're protecting against leaking of information and everything. And we get to the point, if there's no human in the loop, will you continue to monitor Amy's model then to make sure it isn't subverted? That's a very interesting question. So we will have AI trainers forever for two reasons. One, certainly to develop new skills, we'll forever have ambitions on what we want Amy to be able to do, but also to make sure that the agent does what we want the agent to do. And if we just set the agent loose without any oversight, she could turn slightly left and further and further left before we really figure it out years later, right? 
And in very much the same way, I would assume that any self-driving car type company will continue to have a fleet of cars with, they drive around with, they call them safety drivers. We can continue to call them AI trainers to see, so how do they behave? The funny thing about these type of systems is that they might all look like successful outcomes. Sure, you did, get, you did get from point A to point B in the self-driving car. Yeah, but what happened along the way? Certainly, you would recognize if you hit a pedestrian, but there could be things along the way where that's not optimal. I did get to my destination, so it looks successful in any type of analysis. And just like me, oh, Amy did set up the meeting. Sure, but at what cost? And we need to make sure that we have a good oversight of what is happening on the journey. What I find really interesting, again, coming back to what you said, is that just like any other type of propaganda, sometimes you actually don't know what the damage is because it's already been inflected on the system. So if somebody have injected their agenda into some system, it is already in your data set. And you might not know actually how to remove it. And this is very interesting, and I'm underlining and bolding the word interesting here, future that we're moving towards, where in the past, any data inject will be something where you can remove that or roll back or delete those rows. As in, it, it becomes kind of easy to imagine for where something happened which you didn't like and you remove it. These will be models for where it becomes even difficult to figure out both what to remove and even when you know what to remove, how to remove it. Right, because it's not just the data, it's already the learning from the bad yes. that needs to be rolled back. So you'll have to, so I see why you'll always stay on top of, of what Amy does and, and, and the output you produce. So I'd like to step up as we kind of get to the end of this, just to kind of a closure. And it's really important, I think, to talk about the CEO view of you and, and, and your peers. You know, how pervasive have you personally made security across your company? And, and who do you see is responsible for security across X.AI? So we have people for where their job is security on both ends. The security which we talked about in the one segment of making sure, obviously, given the information which we handle, it is kept intact. And some people hire that too late. I'm not taking any particular pride in us having done this too early because I think it is one of those positions that almost everybody hire too late. And I could probably even argue that so did we, but certainly we, we passed that initial hurdle. But it's one of those where some organizations can go almost a lifetime without having dedicated officers in place to handle security. And I just think that that becomes more and more an error if you continue into the future with that attitude. And sometimes you will call it, and for us, it, it is molded into our kind of infrastructure responsibilities, but, but it is still something for where you need to have that top of mind. And I certainly believe that we've done so simply by applying real responsibility within the organization. And then we have also made sure that this is actually a component in our product design. So we just happen to also be a software company for where we the products, but security needs to be not something for where it turns into an afterthought. It turns into a product design question for where, how do you, and especially when we talk about agents, I think it becomes perhaps even more obvious around agents. So how do they actually behave and interact and what is their, their attitude around security? So that's certainly something that's, that we find important and, and I shouldn't take any kind of special pride in it, but 
I certainly do think that we are in, in good shape and, and I hope we'll continue to kind of cherish that. That's great. And it's great that you're early. And you're right. We don't think anybody could do this too early. That's why the thesis area for us is security first. So you've got your dedication person, you know, the team, you've done it early. Now, what would you, so we talk about CEOs that you know, are going to interact with end users. You've got sales reps that are out there potentially. How do you make sure you're taking your message the right way and delivering it out through all the channels, you know, building it into your marketing messages, building it into your sales differentiating materials, et cetera, et cetera? We have this very fortunate setting for where the agent mimics something which most people have a relationship with already, which is what I mentioned before, the employer-employee relationship. So there's plenty of people which you might have to educate on security in some other setting where it's difficult as a non-CS person to kind of wrap your head around it. You know, why does that matter? And why can't I just get a login and a password? And you, you can't immediately wrap your head around it. But given that we have this prior setting where you can very easily wrap your head around who in the organization should see what and how should they behave. And our agent, which is our product, are in the same circle. So that's only made it slightly easier for us to ensure that people almost immediately have some understanding of both how should the agent behave, where can we set her loose, and when will she do good and when will she do not so good. And that has been, I think, a good starting point and perhaps a little bit just unfair given who we are, where I can see how it'll be much more difficult for others. Interesting. That's great. This was a fantastic discussion, Dennis. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to Amy on our side, Andrew on your side for getting the meeting. Thank you for Stephanie having all these pieces set up as well. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Time well spent. Thank you very much for having me.